Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Recently, I appeared on Apparently Speaking podcast with Miriam Connor. Miriam asked me to speak about fear and anxiety and specifically how parents may inadvertently pass on anxiety to their children. We discussed common responses to fear, building upon the fight or flight model that we all learned in high school or college, and we explored the profound power of how we frame fear, meaning do we consider it part of our identity, the very core of who we are, saying things to ourselves like, my anxiety makes me do such and such, or I have anxiety, as opposed to seeing fear and anxiety and nervousness as part of the wide array of emotions we all will experience at different seasons of our lives at different times because we are, in fact, human. And though the conversation was geared toward parents, I thought it could be useful for all of us to consider the ways we manage and move through our feelings. We can ask ourselves questions like, did I learn this emotional response from my mother? Did I get, quote, my anxiety from my dad? And as an adult, can I shed any inherited ways of dealing with fear and anxiety that aren't serving me? Empowered living involves taking charge of our thoughts as we talk about every week on Love and Life and looking at the narrative, the story that we tell ourselves about our experiences. So whether you're a parent looking to empower your child or whether you're interested in ways to empower yourself, my conversation with Miriam Connor is for you and it's coming up right after this. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black, Don't Wear White Till It's Right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. Hi, Karen, and welcome back to the show. So glad to have you. Thanks, Miriam. I'm so glad to be back, and I appreciate the invitation to join you. Of course, anytime. So today, you know, we're talking about probably not like a super fun topic, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> but um, something that I think is really relevant and necessary. And so we're going to talk about fear, maybe just fear in general, and how that relates to parenting. You know, we'll talk about, I think we'll probably get into how, you know, fear, if a, if a parent has a fear, let's just say I have really fearful of something or situation, how I can really put that on my kids and they can kind of take on my fears, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So something that is really interesting to me, I've been thinking a lot about lately is, you know, why, I mean, some of us respond to 
feet. And we all respond differently and depends on the situation. So I get it. It's not a, a black and white um, thing. But why do some people seem to really respond, you know, one way to fear and then others, you know, the other, another way, just in general, obviously, depending on the situation? Yeah. And there's been a lot of research on that. And I think most of your listeners probably will be familiar with the fight or flight response. You may have learned that in biology class or in your Psych 101, where you talk about when we are threatened as individuals, it, we have a, a stress response and we do tend to have a knee-jerk reaction. We either put up our dukes and fight the adversary or we take off. Like, I got to get out of here. And psychologists are now looking at perhaps some additional responses. We have freeze as an option. And you can think about an animal may play dead in the wild to hope that that threatening uh, attack will, will leave and pass them by. They won't notice them. So they freeze or they will fawn. And this is what uh, psychologists have been thinking about this in terms of especially children who've grown up in traumatic homes where say they have an alcoholic parent who comes home angry, is abusive, the child fawns. And the, now we're talking about the baby deer, that mm. that child is going to try to appeal to the parents to, to, to tug at their heartstrings, again, trying to sidestep the threat. If I can just be so pleasant and acquiesce with my, be as cute as possible, can I then avoid the harm that might be coming my way? So again, looking at the, the long-term effects of trauma, and one of the ways is to try to fawn your way out of it. And then another one that has been recently come to my attention is flock. So we may, when we are threatened or feel stressed or feel, feel a fearful response, we may run to our flock, to our like-minded individuals with the protection in numbers. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways that we respond to fear that like you're saying, apply to a variety of contexts. And certainly we can look at this in terms of the last couple of years with the COVID threat. Then, But also, as you're saying, parents will have a, a fear response. And of course, parents who want to be mindful of their parenting, they want to make sure that they are demonstrating to their children healthy ways to respond to fear as opposed to ways that might be less adaptive. And they could inadvertently, like you're, you mentioned a moment ago, pass on a fear response that isn't so helpful for the child. Yeah, thanks. And I, yeah, the fight or flight, but then some of those other ones, um, you know, haven't really heard, you know, the freeze, the fawn, and then the flock. Flock is interesting because <clears throat> I feel like, especially lately, you know, like, like I'm looking, everyone could probably listen to those and say, oh yeah, I probably tend to do this or this one. Yes. Um, and so, I, I think I'm a pretty laid back person for the most part. I want to just make people laugh and, uh, you know, I don't get too <laughs> riled up. But when I listen to those, I'm like, yeah, um, so why is my response like fight and flock? <laughs> <laughs> um, because I am that way, but then I also have the side of me, depending on what it is, but I don't, you know, I will stand up for myself, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I think sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll lean toward that one. Um, and then the flock, I think that, yeah, right. If we're, if we're stressed or mad or, or fearful of a situation, we probably all would want to be, it's comforting mm -hmm. to talk to someone who, you know, okay, I'm going to call, you know, I'm going to call Karen because I know she's going to agree with everything I say. <laughs> <laughs> you like that, right. Rather than like, I'm going to call right. this friend. Cause I, you know, and they're going to just, you know, argue with me or challenge me on everything. You know, sometimes we really need that, that flock. So I can understand, um, 
you know, why that would be a response too. just, and it, it can be calming just to, mm-hmm. you know, just to hear, you know, just the affirmation or whatever. To be um, validated, validated for whatever you're yeah. feeling. Yes. And I think you're right, Miriam. I, I do think that sometimes we surprise ourselves. We think of ourselves as maybe a laid back or we, and we hypothesize, we'd be like, oh, I'd probably just take off running. I'd, I'd be, fle- I'd be fleeing that situation. <laughs> yeah. And then we, we get in that situation and all of a sudden, we look at ourselves. We're like, "Oh my gosh, I'm like cussing somebody out, and my dukes are yeah. <laughs> like, oh, I was, I was going toe to toe with this threat, and I had no idea I would." So, I do think, as we speak to parents in particular, that sometimes we're going to surprise ourselves as adults, even though we've been around, been living our life with ourselves all these years. Right. Sometimes, <laughs> uh, sometimes a certain threat, a particular threat, may bring out a response that will really will surprise us. Yeah, definitely. I th- I think you're right too. Depending on what it is, we may yeah. be surprised um, with our reaction. So, you know, I know that um, I've talked to a lot of parents lately, moms um, especially, who just and this has kind of been like a, a, a hot topic, you know, that comes up just fearful. I'm and I think obviously because of everything that's been going on, yes. that I'm afraid of this or that. I'm afraid, you know. I mean, speaking of the whole COVID thing, there are so many different levels of fear. You know, some people are like, well. I'm afraid, so I'm going to do these precautions. And some people are like, well, I haven't left my house in two years, you know, that kind of thing. And so there's all different, there's a wide range (laughs) of where, you know, your, your fear, you let your fear take you. But, you know, I've also seen where, you know, the, the, a parent will say, let's just say a mom, for example, you know, well, my, my kid is so fearful of this, you know, of what it is getting sick or, or anything, whatever it may be, they're afraid of this or that. And, and they're just, they have this anxiety and they're so afraid and everything. And then it's like, well, and you don't want to place them, you know, right. It's, it's because of your mom, you're going to be in therapy, you know, the cliche, haha. but um, <laughs> you don't want to do that. But, you know, you can see where I think if you as a parent are constantly talking about it, whatever the issue may be, you know, you're, you're worried about it. They, the kids are obviously going to pick up on that and they're either going to say, okay, this is an okay thing. This is, this is out there. It exists. We need to, you know, do X, Y, Z, but I'm okay. We're going to be okay. Cause that's, you know, that's how my parents are or we got to freak out. Yeah. Well, and I think to your point, something I remember from the research on school anxiety, this is way back when I was in grad school, looking at some of this literature that to your point, and we don't want to blame parents, but also that's your kid and they're, they're taking cues from you. And you talk about on your podcast, a lot modeling, they are watching your response and they're going to go, that's how we cope. That's how we manage things that are scary and threatening. And the, the research on school anxiety, especially with little kids, when you're talking like a, a little preschool kid, that school anxiety is mostly because mom's anxious and she's uh-huh. passed on her fear probably of separation anxiety. You know, she's yeah. had her little toddler with her for the last four years and now the toddler's going to school and that independence that she would, if she were having a conversation with another mom, she's like, of course I want to instill in my daughter independence. But then when it comes down to it, she's a little bit threatened maybe about her role now that the kid's in school for half the day. These are the things that parents, we have to be the adult in the room. Yeah. And we have to remember that we are trying to provide and equip our kid The job of a parent is to work yourself out of a job. So are you Mm -hmm. equipping your child with coping skills that are healthy and adaptive and will help your child gain that independence? Or are you inadvertently and maybe accidentally passing on your own kind of hangups that now your kid is going to feel? So I 
I don't want to blame parents, but I also want parents to take responsibility for their own emotional health and be sure that they are passing on adaptive, healthy coping skills to their kids. Yeah, that's great stuff, right? It's not, it's not a blame. That's not what this is about, but it's just like you said, just be aware, maybe take a little inventory, (laughs) you know, do I do this or is this maybe, you know, if you, if you have a kid that is just, you know, super anxious and worried and maybe you have another that isn't, you know what I mean? So obviously kids are different and and sometimes it's not because of that, but maybe just, you know, look and see, is there anything I could do differently or in the way maybe, you know, I talk to them about these situations, you know, maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but try to look at it. You know, I, I think that sometimes with kids too, we will say, you talked about the school anxiety or just different situations. Maybe the kid hasn't really, they're okay with whatever it is. They haven't really thought much about it. And then maybe we, as a, a parent, you know, it's like, Oh, and I, I wanted to let you know, you know, just you're talking about, you know, don't worry. It's, everything is going to be okay. You're, you're going to have a great day or this is going to be okay. There's nothing to really worry about or, or be, be, you know, be sad or this. And then the kid's like, wait, what? Exactly. <laughs> I, I didn't know I, I wasn't, but now you're saying these things like, don't worry. You know, why would yes. I worry? Oh, there is something to worry about that kind of thing. I literally saw that last weekend. <laughs> Dan and I were skiing and this guy was getting his little like four or five-year-old ready. She was going to go to ski school for the day, which is super fun for kids. They get to ski yeah. with other little kids. They learn. Yeah. They, And then the parents go and ski. And then at the end of the day, they reconvene and maybe run a couple, uh, do a couple uh, runs together. Well, he was... He just kept saying, now, you're going to be fine. All the other kids are there. You're going to, you're not going to miss us. It's going to be great. You're going to have, and she's looking at him like, mm-hmm, dad, I got this, right? I mean, he, it was his anxiety. Yeah, <laughs> he was, he was worried. Yeah. It was, and it was, I, yeah. So I think you have to be really careful. And it reminds me of something we think about a lot in family systems theory is boundaries and hierarchy within a home. And sometimes we, we think about, And this is something that's tricky right now, especially, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as a parenting expert, boundaries within a home, the hierarchical boundaries that the marriage is is the top subsystem. Then we have the parenting subsystem. Then we have the kids and the sibling relationships. That's a subsystem within the, the entire system of the family. And we have those boundaries in place. And it's it's things that it can be very basic, like an example of. An eight-year-old child should not know the financial realities of the family. And that's a boundary because an eight-year-old isn't equipped emotionally to handle like if the parents are struggling to pay the bills. That's a parenting thing. That's a a, a marital thing. They need to work that out on their own. And that's a boundary that the child should not be privy to. What happens sometimes is we have this culture now of like, I want to be my kid's best friend Mm -hmm. and I want to be open and honest and be very vulnerable with my child. And sometimes parents will give to their child a little bit too much. And so too much information is a thing. TMI with your kids is a big thing. They can't do anything about it. It's going to stress them out. That's again, the example of finances, but the same could be true with fear and with concerns that are out of their control. And I know you've talked about it. We've had conversations about the way that you've managed when your daughter comes to you with like any teenager will have some some fears or anxiety this and that but you're very careful to to say okay well let's hypothetically play that out and if that did happen that worst case scenario 
what would you do? And and to remind her that she is in fact able to and competent and equipped with what she needs to do should that worst case scenario, scenario happen. It's so great connecting with all of you via the podcast. And I would love to meet you IRL. If your organization is looking for a speaker for your next event, check out my website, go to the speaking page and see the content that I love to talk about. Just like on the podcast, in my speeches, I cover a wide array of topics grounded in psych research, of course. I'd love to meet you and share strategies for thriving in all realms of love and life with you and your organization. I cannot recommend Dr. Karen enough as your speaker at your event. As my keynote speaker, she completely set the tone of compassion, self-love, and authenticity that bled into everything we did for the rest of the event. She was incredibly prepared and present and went above and beyond when it came to sharing the event with her audience. Her knowledge, magnetic energy, and expertise while on stage is one thing. It will be everything you'd hope for and more for your audience. But her giving spirit and willingness to do more than simply show up when it's time to go on is icing on the cake. She walks her talk, and by the end of working with her, I was wishing she lived down the block from me for weekly meetups. For more information and to book me to speak at your next event, contact my producer, Tim May. Tim at loveandlifemedia.com. Thanks for listening to the sh- my show, by the way. You're making all these little tidbits that I've said in the past. <laughs> it's good stuff. Get a gold star. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Th- I, I have done that all along because I realized early on um, when my daughter, um, who's now 18 now, but when she was younger, you know, she would say, you know, what if this or what if that, you know, kind of these sure. worst case scenarios, like you said. And, and I'm like, oh, pff, that's not, don't, that's not going to happen. Come on, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I realized like that wasn't, I could even see my face like that wasn't the enough for her an answer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just, it, and it was helpful. like, I it just, felt minimizing to her. She's like, minimize no, it, which I didn't right. mean to do. No, I, of course in not. my mind, I was like, well, this will help her not worry because I'm like saying, don't worry about it. It's fine. You know, right, right. So then I said, yes, okay. I don't know. I just had like a light bulb moment and said, okay, yeah. What if this did happen? Right. Okay. What's the worst thing that would happen? You know, we would talk it out. Well, this would happen then this and then, okay. And, and then she would see that it, it really wouldn't either be a big deal. You know, the worst mm-hmm. case scenario wasn't really a big deal, what she built in her head, or there were ways she had tools that, you know, even if it was sort of big deal, like, okay, if that were to happen, which I knew it probably wasn't, but here's what you can do. What are some mm-hmm. things we can do to, to help the situation or to, you know, so that she also had some control and some tools in her pocket to, you know, if that happened and that just, I could tell just kind of eased her immediately. So we mm-hmm. would, you know, talk through those things, you know, of, about the what ifs, you know, and, um, yeah. So I think that you're right. The boundaries, I see a lot of parents doing that. Um, I see parents talk to their kids, maybe they're like tweens or whatever about, you know, their husband or, you know, their, oh, their you know what I mean? Stuff like that. Yeah. Or like dad is just, you know, he's just mm. irritating me. He's doing this or that, you know, whatever it may be, or, you know, he did this, or he did that. And it's like, that's not your bestie. So <laughs> they don't call your bestie and tell them that, you know what yes. I mean? Um, yes but not your kids. I feel like even my 18 year old, you know, I still don't do that. You know, I'll like roll my eyes at her and be like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. We joke, you know what I mean? Like if my husband does something that we tease him about, you know, or I'll just, you know, I can make a joke about that, but not really like, oh my gosh, you know, and then he said this and then, <laughs> oh, you know, I'm not going to do that with my kids. 
ever, you know, even right. when they're full grown, that's their dad. You know what I mean? That's, and that's not right. the, like you said, the hierarchy, that's not the, that will never shift. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even when you have that more friendship yeah. kind of relationship, when your kids are older, there's still that, that balance, you know what I mean? Those boundaries there, I think mm-hmm. should always still be. Right. Even when she's 28, that's still that that will be now your adult daughter. Right now you have your teenage daughter and you'll have a a relationship with your adult daughter. But that's still it's not right. Your bestie. And then they worry. They do. They worry like, oh, my gosh, are they something happening? You know, I mean, what's is this a serious fight or this? You know, I mean, that kind of thing. Like you said, financial reasons, like I think it's okay to explain to your kids when they're young, you know, well, we're just not, you know, it's, you know, explain money a little bit, you know, use that kind of example. Sure. It's okay to explain like, we're not, you know, millionaires. And even if we right. were, you know what I mean? Here's what we spent, you know, because money has to be value and things like that. That's right. okay to start planting those seeds and to let them understand like, there is a difference between, you know, a $500, you know, pair of shoes and a, you know what I mean? Whatever. And you talk about that a little bit, but not to say like, oh my gosh, you know, we just, we're in trouble this month. I don't know if we're going to be, you know, or things like that. Right. That's not for them to hear. Like you said, they can't do anything about it. Let them be a kid. That's their job is to be a kid at that point and not to take on the stresses of an adult. You know, that's, you You know what I mean? And people say like, well, I want to be honest with my kids. It's like, well, no, you don't always need to be. No, it's not <laughs> like their business. Said, yeah, a, lot of, a lot of what people think they want to be honest with their kids about is not their business. Yeah. It's not the child's business, what's going on with the marriage, the ins and outs and the nitty gritty of the mm-hmm. marital dynamic and the marital subsystem. And it's really not even their their business what's going on in the parenting roles, even though right. usually in most families, that's the same two people occupy the marital subsystem role and then also the parental subsystem role. But it's, it, and it's really, um, and I, I know what you're saying. People are like, I just want to be honest. And they have to remember that doesn't help the child. Now it's great. I like what you're saying about like, for example, again, back to finances, maybe a budget to talk to a, a, a young person because you're then demonstrating we are budgeting this amount of money because it's a, re- a reflection of your family values. Mm-hmm. So, for example, well, we're not going to take that big vacation that we thought we might because it would cut into our ability to donate to our mm-hmm. church or to our our, our mission, uh, whatever philanthropic endeavor we as a family, we value what that charity is doing. So we're going to have a sacrifice here to make sure that we support this charity work. That is a beautiful demonstration of values and let the child learn, oh, wow. So sometimes I'll be disciplined with my finances because there will be a higher value that I want to make sure that I demonstrate by giving money to that situation or circumstance or organization. That's great. But to have, like you you mentioned earlier, where we're not sure if we're going to be able to make the bills. No, that's too much for a child to bear. And then people wonder why, well, I don't know, my kid's got all this anxiety. It's like, well, you straight up gave your child plenty of reasons to be anxious with things he can do absolutely nothing about in that contra- that, that uh, juxtaposed against what we talked about earlier with you and your teen, where you're like, here's what you can do. So that in psych, we talk about in general, when we feel that we have agency or control over a situation, we will do better. So you were showing your daughter and you do show your daughter, here's what you can do. So she didn't feel this kind of uh, un- uncertainty and this generalized anxiety, freeform anxiety about, well, what's going to happen? And I have absolutely no recourse. Mm-hmm. And that's so important. And another thing on that note, Miriam, I want to say is it we live in an age where mental health concerns are very much 
discussed in ways that even when we were kids weren't quite to the same yeah. level, which as a psychologist, I love that on the one hand. And on the other hand, I think we've gotten into a space, and I talk about this on my podcast a lot, where we're pathologizing some of the normal vicissitudes of human emotional response, responding and experience. So for example, anyone who gets up in front of a podium, I was a professor for 10 years. And if I give a speech right now, I will be nervous. There's no way I'm not, I've, I've spoken in front of crowds. Yeah. My, I've, you know, I'm a performer, I'm a singer. I've been in front of people with a mic all the time since I was a kid. And yet if I go to do a speech, I will be nervous. Now that's called normal. Normal. <laughs> but we live in an era now where people are like, oh, my anxiety. It's like, first of all, just so you know, time and time again, research shows number one fear for all humans, <laughs> all adults, public speaking. Okay. Yeah. So for me to go, well, my anxiety. is weird, but okay. I know, well, you're a performer. <laughs> you're like, give me the mic. You're like, this thing on, this thing on. <laughs> all right. Ladder. I need, I need a little more volume. Anyway. So, Right. But for most people, so for people to then pathologize their own emotions, and this is a tendency. We also see commercials on TV because drug companies want to sell us drugs for all these emotions. Yeah. And it, as a psychologist, it really chaps my hide because I want people to understand that there is a huge fluctuation in our emotional experience on a daily basis. So we're going to feel emotions and we shouldn't say, well, that's pathological and I need a pill for that. How about we manage and frame. This is the critical part is that how I frame my own emotions as an adult, I will then pass on to my child. So I want to frame my emotional responses as being like, yeah, I'm nervous. So that when my kid's like, oh, I'm scared to go to that party, my anxiety, no, no, it's not your anxiety. You're about to go to a party. You don't know who's going to be there. You don't know if you'll know anyone. That's just normal. Any adult, an 85-year-old person going to a room where they don't know anyone, it's going to feel a little nervous. Right. So we have to, to own the emotions, realize that they're normal in most cases, because when we do that, the, our, our thoughts are so powerful. And this is getting now to cognitive psychology. If I frame my thought about my emotion, well, that's just a normal butterfly. That's just normal nerves, nervousness. Or if I go, well, there's my anxiety kicking in again. Oh my gosh, I can't do anything. Well, that's going to make a huge difference on my own experience about my emotions and also what I'm going to pass on to my kid. Yeah. I mean, yes, to all of it. I just, I was like <laughs> writing stuff down again too. And it's like, I love that, that quote, you know, how I frame my own emotions as an adult, I will pass on to my child. I think that's a powerful yeah. statement. And right. I mean, I think, you know, use the, the, speaking in front. And I've, I've talked to my kids about that and given them the exact same, you know, talk and, and like said, you know, everybody, same things when you go up to do this, when you do this, when you're that, when you're in an unknown, you know, situation, like at a party or this or that, but you make yourself do it. Those are normal feelings, mm -hmm. normal thoughts. If you can make yourself do it, then you, you have that frame of reference. So next time you're in the situation, yep. you say, you know what? I felt this way last time I did it it actually ended up to be fine or good, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or whatever. Maybe someone, you know, so I, I still hate public speaking, but I, I got through it last time mm -hmm. so I can get through it this time, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, it just reminded me of um, my youngest, Carly, you know, she's 11 and 
I tell her that stuff all the time, you know, all my kids. And she um, just did a talent show. They they were recorded. And so she sang. And so I it was just this week. So I was like, you know, how did it go? I can't wait to see the, the video and all that kind of stuff. And um, she'd been practicing her song at home. And she goes, you know, mom. And it was just so funny. The power, it, it made me pause for a second and realize, yeah, I mean, the power of what we portray is is, is true. You know, and she said... I, I get a little nervous, um, you know, when I first was thinking about it before it was my turn. And she said, and when I was like walking up, I was, I felt a little nervous, a little butterflies. And she goes, but I know that's normal. And she goes, and as soon as I held that microphone, <laughs> <laughs> I was great. You know, I was fine. Uh-huh. And I've know, seen the videos. Very, I've yeah, seen the yeah. videos of her doing the national anthem. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> right. But I mean, and she has a personality. So I'm not saying like, oh, your kids will think that way. No. You know what I mean? She's not, she's very outgoing. She likes that. But we've talked about that so much that she's basically verbatim. And I know in her mind, as she was walking up there, she was telling herself, and I have seen her mouth this as she's doing things like, like, I can do this. It's going to be good. You got this to herself. Yes. Because we've had those conversations so often, you know, since she was, you know, since she was a toddler, you know, with all my kids, like it's normal to have those feelings and it's okay. But once you do it, you know, even if it's something you don't want to do again, and I tell them that too, because I don't want them to think like, oh yeah, you're going to love it. You know, every situation that makes you uncomfortable, even if it's something you don't want to do again, even if you did this song or whatever, and you realize that's not really for me, that's okay. You did it and you should be proud. Exactly. And it goes back to the narrative that you are weaving throughout your family, and I've heard your husband say this, you know, we're Connors, we're not quitters. We're Connors. You know, we take on challenges. We don't shy away from challenges. So what does it mean to be a Connor? Well, I remember as a child, it, I was an Anderson, and mm-hmm. there, were, there were certain expectations, and that was a narrative that was told to me since I was an infant, that we're Andersons, and we shoot for the stars, and we're entertainers, and we get out in front, and we're leaders, all these things. And so I think about another, on the flip side, I've heard a woman, she was talking at uh, the church we used to go to, and she had her master's in counseling, and she was describing to everyone in the congregation about how she understood that she came from a long line of women with anxiety, that her mother had anxiety, her aunt had anxiety. And so she said when she was when she had her daughter, that she has anxiety, of course, and then her daughter had anxiety. She's like, I could see within like, two, three years of, of when she was just a little girl that she was having anxiety. I'm thinking, well, did she have any other choice? Mm. Did the daughter have any other choice? Because you have woven the narrative that I come from a long line of anxious women. This is who we are. It's yeah. just who we are. And think about it this way, Miriam. First of all, we would, I would assume as a psychologist, she has passed on all that anxious energy that the mm-hmm. child had no other, had no other recourse than to pick up on it. Secondly, the child wants to identify with her mom. I want to be like yeah. my mom. Not a teenager now. She wants to be like her mom. She's little, <laughs> right? I want to be like my aunt. I want to be like my grandma. Yeah. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to respond to fear and threats and uncomfortable situations the same way that they do. I mean, that's powerful. She's going to, she has no other choice if she wants to be part of this girls club of anxious women than to start to adapt, uh, to take on anxiety. Yeah, that's sad. That's really sad <laughs> to hear that story because, right, instead of saying, and, and she had a choice to say, you know what, I, I, I'm this way, you know, I, I, I've allowed myself to be this way, whatever it is, I have these, I struggle with this, but 
you know what, no matter what I have to do, you know what I mean? My kids are not, you know, going to have no. these same struggles no. and, you know. It was not that story of perseverance yeah. and yeah. The, 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 the family lineage of anxiety stops with me. No, it was not yeah. that story. It was, yes, it passed on. And yes, that's why we're all medicated and there's uh, no other option but to medicate. And I was not pleased with that talk. <laughs> and I actually went, <laughs> went and said something to the people who booked that speaker, but that's just me. Okay. So, <laughs> I guess my response was uh, to fight. <laughs> to fight. <laughs> and we don't go to that church anymore. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, you're right though, because it was, yeah, I, I get it. And I get why you said something because it was, it needed to be said. It, um, just it wasn't balanced. Wasn't about, you know, it I'm wasn't sure balanced it was with another interpretation. If you're going to do that and yes. have a speaker come up and say, here's what I've been doing with yes. my anxiety, quote unquote, again, and I would, uh, to get back to the the idea of framing, I would recommend that we don't call anything my anxiety, mm. my depression. That's a really, you're framing it as a part of you, part That's of your identity. Yeah. I would encourage people to get a little distance. Maybe I'm have a season of depression because yeah. I went through a horrible divorce or a horrible I'm crisis. feeling this way right now yes, kind I'm of thing or I'm, this situation. I'm feeling this, I'm feeling some, you know, anxiety or some depression over this situation, but it's not like it's me, you know, always part of me. That's exactly right. Yeah. And think about that again from parents. If you were yeah. talking in that manner, your child learns to take on the identity of an unwanted emotion, of a mm -hmm. painful emotion that we all are going to experience in this life. But what do we do with it? Do we move through it or do we sit there, inhabit it and claim it? Like this is me. If you're looking for some in-depth support, head over to my website, loveandlifemedia.com and click on the work with me tab to schedule a consultation. Consultations will help you clarify underlying emotional and psychological concerns, will target limiting beliefs and thought patterns, will learn empowering techniques from cognitive therapy to sustainably elevate your mindset and mood, will identify relationship dynamics which are impeding your goals, and will together generate a concrete plan for moving forward to help you thrive in love and life. Schedule your consultation today at loveandlifemedia.com. I'd love to work with you. Neither one of us are saying like, you should never be, you know, have any fear over any situation. You should never feel anxious. You know what I mean? Just be a fake smile all the time. And not at all. You no. know what I mean? <laughs> We're saying, but but just be be maybe aware of it and be aware of how your kids can pick up on that. And it's not being fake to your kids. It's okay to say, you know, oh, I'm just feeling a little, you know, if it's appropriate for their age, you know, whatever it is, you know, or I'm just feeling a little this over this, but you know what I mean? Here's maybe what we can do, or here's what I'm going to do to try to turn it around. Even give them some tools, tell them what you're doing. Yes. Again, that modeling that you speak to so often. Yeah. There's a, a, a school of psychotherapy called ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. It's a third generation cognitive therapy. And in ACT, we talk about exactly what you're saying. We accept. We don't even try to fight. So in ACT, we talk about accepting our emotional state and our emotional experiences. And we don't fight or resist them, to your point that you made a moment ago. We accept that that's just part of the human condition and in ACT, we try to have a little distance, though, as I spoke to a second ago as well. We don't take on the, well, I am depressed now and forevermore. 
you experience and, he, and uh, the creator of Act, Stephen C. Hayes, he's been on my podcast a couple of times. He talks about a visual image of leaves on a stream. It's like your feelings are like leaves on a stream, and you're watching them. You're you're in front of the stream, and you're watching these that that they're moving. That they're not they're not there forevermore. They're moving. You're moving through them, and then it gets back to what we talked about a little bit ago as well. Values. So what Carly did when she went to sing her solo, her value was, I want, to, I want to perform. I have this gift that God's given me of a voice. I want to share that with my community. And so the value of being able to do that performance, she had to move through, right? So she made a committed action, an act we talk about, a committed action toward the chosen value, which she did. And she mouthed herself, I can do this. I got this, right? So she, it's not that she's denying that she's nervous. Mm-hmm. It's that she's made, that there's a value that is above and beyond the nervousness, that there's a value that's above and beyond the emotion and that she moved through that to then arrive at the goal and achieve the value of having that performance go well. And even if it hadn't gone well, she did right. it, right? And there's value in that, right? Just pushing ourselves. And again, to parents, we talk a lot about self-esteem with kiddos and so many parents just want to love on their kid. And if I love my kid enough, I'll give them this great, healthy self-esteem. Can't do it. The research shows the only way that we can build our self-esteem as parents and demonstrate to our children how to build self-esteem is to set goals and reach them, period. So we don't try to give our child self-esteem. It's called self-esteem. You can't give it to anyone. You provide <laughs> them opportunities to push through, like you said, to push through some of those uncomfortable emotions, to arrive and to show themselves, I did it. And like you said earlier, and then they have that framework to go, okay, last time I felt nervous too. And guess what? I was able to do it. And that is yeah. how we build self-esteem. Yeah. No, it's great. And you know, also it made me think of, you know, as I said earlier, all kids are different. And just because your child may not be like, maybe they're not super outgoing or loud or, you know what I mean? Wanting to do these upfront things or whatever doesn't mean that they have low self-esteem or have anxiety. You know what I mean? It just means that's just their personality. I think of my son who has a great personality, I think, and he's really funny, (laughs) but he's not, you know, as loud as like the girls, you know what I mean? He's, and so sometimes when he was younger, I, I was like, oh gosh, you know, is he this or that? Or do I need to have concern? You know, you you just think these crazy things. And, but then I would hear from his teachers like, oh, you know, they, the class voted him as the mayor of the class, you know, things like that. They did this little like, uh, you know, civics lesson and stuff like that. Or, you know, I'll hear from other teachers now he's in high school, you know, oh, he did this in class or, you know, he's, so he's great. He's doing great. He's just not real loud about it. You know what I mean? But he, and I've heard stories where he shows that he's, you know, got self-esteem and he can stand up for himself and, you know, things like that. He's just quieter about it. Or sometimes I don't always hear from him, you know, I'm like, why didn't you tell me that? He was like, I don't know, you know, where, you know, Carly gets in and I hear every, you know, second, which is great. So just because they have a different personality though, doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, they're quieter. I think some parents think too, like my, my kid's quieter. They don't want to do this or that, or be the center of attention. They must have there must be fearful and have anxiety. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's, it's so natural. You know, our, we always assume that what we see in someone else is 
how we would we assume oh they would behave the way I would behave right and mm-hmm. so your son you're like wait I would be probably a little more vocal about this or I'd come home and tell my mom all these stories and then when he doesn't you're going huh what's going on is he not like me so I think it's it's typical for a parent to assume that the child's going to behave just like them but got to remember there's other genes <laughs> going on at work yeah. and so yeah and again but to your point I would encourage anyone to be cautious of how we labels are powerful Labels are so powerful. Think about it. I, I do worry about kids who get labeled with ADHD when they're a fidgety little six-year-old like every mm-hmm. other boy on the planet, and yet they get labeled ADHD, and then kids will live up to that label. Yeah. And what are so what are we what are we framing? Like you said, what are we, are we framing that as, oh, my kid is super shy or nervous or anxious, or maybe he's just got a different personality. He's just not as demonstrative with every situation and every thought or feeling. If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. What if someone's listening and they're like, you know what, I feel like my kid is fearful of these things. And like we said earlier, especially now lately, the last couple of years, I mean, there, there are a lot of things that, you know, people have been fearful of and, you know, it just what's going on in our world. And we can give that to our kids, you know, um, by, you know, just, we said how we act or telling them these stories or talking to them even about like news issues, which it's okay at certain ages to let them know what's going on in the world. But I think certain ages it's not, or depending on how you talk about it, you can give, you know, (laughs) like the, the proper age version of kind of what's going on. They don't need to know, you know, everything because it's too much, you know, for little kids to, to, to think about, you know, some of those things. But what if, you know, someone's listening and they're like, you know, my child, I feel is fearful or they, they're, they're, they're kind of even getting some of that from me. I, I mm-hmm. listen and I realize like I did a couple of those things. What, what now? So they're like, Oh, what, what can I do now to kind of correct? Yeah. Well, that's a great opportunity to just be vocal, especially if the kids a tweener or teenager, they can watch you in real time take charge of your thoughts, and which is going to take charge of your emotions. And you could have a, a very clear conversation with them. It wouldn't have to be something that, let's sit down and talk about this. But just as you're going about your daily life, maybe when you've had some of those anxious thoughts, maybe speak them out loud and correct them yourself. In in psychotherapy, we have another orientation that's a part of the cognitive school where it's called rational emotive behavior therapy. And it's all about taking charge of those irrational thoughts. And it's my favorite because I'm always liking, like, again, I like to duke it out with my thoughts when I have a thought like, (laughs) well, when I was single for a long time, my listeners on my podcast, I talk a lot about that. It's easy to go, well, I'm, I'm single now, so I'll be single forever. Well, that's irrational. (laughs) It's it's irrational. You can meet someone tomorrow. Right. So, but so for example, with something like this, where someone maybe has gone with the, to the fearful place with the COVID and, so something like this, they could say, wow, I'm, I'm catching myself just even in real time, like as they're cooking and the kid's sitting there doing homework, just talk out loud and let the kid hear your own stream of consciousness and you, your own process of taking charge of your thoughts. And they could say something like, yeah, I've been kind of kind of freaked out about this COVID thing. And then I started looking at some of the research that shows that even with the first variant, the alpha variant, 
95% of people, even 85 years old, year olds and older, we're going to recover yeah. just fine. And now I've learned some research about vitamin D, that if we have optimal vitamin D levels, that the latest research shows that people with those optimal levels did not go to the hospital. So even saying that out loud and letting your kid hear that, that you are checking your own irrational thinking, then you, again, you're modeling that for the kid. And if the kid's like, mom, you used to be all freaked out. Well, yeah, you know, I did. But then I started getting some more information. I started gathering because I knew that one of the things that was freaking me out was that I was watching this one source that was kind of fear porn, you know, yeah. they're calling it now, that it was fear mongering. And so I've been open to, and again, now you're demonstrating a value that research is important, that I need to gather my own information to make sure that I can make my own risk assessment. And again, some of these terms you wouldn't say to a 12-year-old, they'd be like, risk assessment, why? Right. <laughs> yeah. And you're not going to say fear porn because we don't say that word in front of no, children. No, we don't so. say that. <laughs> <laughs> but so that you could demonstrate to them, yeah, I was in a fearful place and now I'm taking charge of that. I'm taking action so that I don't have to feel this fear and anxiety anymore. I'm going to check my own irrational thoughts and replace those irrational thoughts with a more rational, adaptive thought. Great. Perfect. It's like really practical. What you can do, it doesn't mean like, oh, my kid's ruined, you know, no. or, or anything like that. Like you said, it's a lot of it is just conversation. And here's a time to be honest with them. You know, we talked about TMI, yes. but here's a time where you can say, you don't have to give every single detail, but yeah, you know what? I, I felt like, and, and I'm, I think this is a great opportunity to be honest, you know, like I, yes. I was very fearful of the X, whatever it was, but I realized that that wasn't, you know, necessary or a good place to be, you know, even if we, you know, worry about certain things, it was too much, you know, however you want to word it so that your child of whatever age they are can understand. So now I'm going to try really to, you know, do these or focus this on this. And you know what? I guarantee the kid is also going to say then to you, if you're doing it later, you know, like mom, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know you seem like you're kind of back in your old ways right. again or something like that. Cause then they're going to watch. And I do feel like it would be, and I'm not the psychologist, but like a relief to the child mm -hmm. to hear that. Like, Oh good. That means I don't have to worry about it so much either. Exactly. And they can see, wow, I can get into a, I can get keyed up. I can get freaked out. That's right. that. Uh, even my mom did that. Even my dad did that. Yeah. And yet my mom and dad also showed me how they, calmed themselves down, grounded themselves again, and started framing their own experience, their own emotional experience, and what they were confronted confronted with, in, for example, over the last two years, framing it in a way that was more empowered and being able to take control because our, our feelings come from our thoughts. So if we're running around thinking, oh my gosh, everyone's going to die. Well, then we're going to, how are we not going to be <laughs> freaked out and highly anxious the entire time? So if we start to think, well, wait a minute, okay, let me dial it down. Yes, it's a real threat. It's a real thing. But also I can look at the statistics. I can get some information. I can equip myself with, with data that can help me then think more rationally about what's actually happening. And that's going to filter down and impact my feelings about what I'm going through. So, so, so many good things, such good stuff, super relevant, timely, helpful, practical, all of it. Um, I love talking with you. Of course, it just flies by. Um, <laughs> so how can listeners find you if they want to learn more about you, reach out, hear about other topics, things like that? Yeah. So I have my own podcast, as I mentioned, it's called 
Love and Life with Dr. Karen, K-A-R-I-N. That's very important because Karen with an E. People yes. hate Karens right now. I'm with an I. <laughs> it's I didn't do it. My parents. Uh, but so, yeah, so that's my podcast. And I talk about things like this quite a bit. Also, a lot of relationship stuff, but not just for people on the dating scene. I also talk about marriage and parenting and then a lot of these psych, psych concerns from things I used to teach my my courses that I think are really anyone can be help, uh, helped by the boundaries and families, the things we spoke to earlier as well. And then, of course, my concern with big pharma taking over psychology. So that's for another day, Miriam, if you want to have me back on. I'd love yes, to talk about that. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> I only we alluded to it. That. I only hopped on that soapbox for just a hot second. But And then I don't we do good. much. We were good. <laughs> I don't do too much with social media other than I am active on Instagram. So if anyone wants to check out my Instagram page, it's Dr. Karen, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. The love and life hack for this week is something I remember my mom saying when we were children. She'd say, take the good and leave the bad. And she was referring to anything that she and my father were able to impart to us children. She wanted us to take all the good stuff and recognizing that she's human and would therefore also pass on some not so good stuff. She wanted us to be sure to take all the good and leave the bad. Thanks for joining us for this crossover episode of Love and Life. To stay connected, head over to loveandlifemedia.com and sign up for my newsletter. You'll also receive your free empowered dating playbook. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen anderson Abril, And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen anderson Abril.